Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's biblical, quizzical, comical, criminal, and hoping for a miracle weird little world. As always, we try to present our information with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. We're not always successful. I'll admit to that, but we are on a bound to give it a shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love shots. Yes, we do. In fact, I'm having one right now. Our rally cry is awaken, oh my people. Do not follow the path of the sheeple and do not give our God cause to weeple. Hey, if you're joining us for the first time, a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, we do not do politically correct on this show because we do not wish to erode our intellect. We martini heads, we are straight talking, straightforward folks. We may be direct, but we come from a core of respect. There's no fakery here or, you know, pretense of luxury or we don't pretend to be something we're not just to up our numbers. What you see is what you get. We value common decency, common courtesy, common sense, soul sovereignty, and our national sovereignty. God bless America. When we use labels, we do so for identification purposes. And we are strictly non-partisan because we believe all parties are in the can. People, our world has lost its moral compass. And without a moral compass, the political arena, the world arena, is nothing more than a never-ending power play, benefiting a small group of sociopaths gorging themselves on the fat of the land, while the rest of humanity begs for scraps under tables groaning with the fruits of its own labor. And honestly, people, hello, with so many repetitions of the same scenario through the ages, humanity, we should know better by now. How did we become such feeble-minded, boot-licking peons. Well, my darlings, that's why we started this show. That's what this show is all about. Looking at the bigger picture, stepping outside the carefully crafted establishment narrative. And I will say it is not for the faint of heart. If you're one of the tens of millions, hundreds of millions, perhaps billions, who would rather sleep comfortably, 
snoozing in the manufactured illusion. If you're content to do as you're told, eat what you're given, behave as ordered, wear a mask, believe everything the daily spin churns out. This show is not for you. Bye-bye, move along, nothing to see here. If, on the other hand, you have capacity for objectivity and you wish to better understand the marvels of co-creation to enjoy your incarnation, you might hear something of value in the next hour. Who knows? Life is an adventure and adventure means exploring your surroundings, not running back and forth inside your own head, losing your grounding and taking a pounding. So today is November 25th, 2020 Common Era, and we are in the midst of a great awakening. We are currently in the pre-awakening stage. And if you had any doubt, well, <clears throat> just listen to the chaotic cacophony of contrasting opinions. That's all the confirmation that you need. Misinformation overload, which was the norm, has become misinformation saturation. Now, no one in their right mind trusts anyone anymore. Those not in their right minds, those who still believe their governments work diligently for the good of the people and who believe we have a free and independent press. Well, what can we say about them except to point out that their ignorance and their refusal to think outside established parameters makes them useful idiots for those pushing the new order agenda, you know, the agenda of the mind controlled slaves and their masters. If I was 91 years old instead of 61 years old, I might say, oh, what the heck? Let everyone just, you know, get on with it. They made their choice. It's a free will society. But I'm still young enough to have maybe another 30 functional years on this beautiful planet. And I'm not ready to give up just yet and therefore have no intention of allowing their gullibility to pollute my life and the life of those who wish to expose the corruption and enter the new golden age. Because that's what we're here for, to bring the glory of God, the glory of supreme cosmic intelligence on to our chosen realms of experiencing. It does seem that a significant proportion of people cannot fathom the enormity of the situation we're in. One side, currently working mostly through the Democratic Party, are pushing new world order. An end to the national and sovereignty individual and national, you know, they want microchipped mind control slaves obeying their masters and they want to continue their satanic rituals and to create fear because without our fear, they have nothing to feed on because they certainly don't co-create with source. And that's why they're so upset about the exposure of their human trafficking operations. That's why they went ballistic when the patriots asked Trump to run for office. They knew they would be exposed. The other side, operating through the Patriots with Trump as POTUS, most definitely see the enormity of the situation and have put everything on the line to prevent a total Luciferian, aka deep state, takeover of our planet. But that's where we are right now in the game. Now, the Patriots with Trump as POTUS won this election by a landslide. The deep state manipulated the ballots. And you know what? They did it badly, really badly. Only those with strong partisan affiliations and no capacity for objectivity fell for it. To the rest of us, to the rest of us, it was as obvious as um, 
as Dolly Parton's magnificent bosom. Yet here we are, jumping through hoops to prove the fraud, and it's going to be one heck of an ordeal. So patriots, gird your loins and save your coins, because come what may, our country is going to split wide open. And from that almighty crack in the darkness, the truth will be revealed and it will set us free. But it will piss off a great many people first and many more will refuse to accept it. But you know what? What can I say? That is their business. When we get to the other side of this, we will enter the new golden age of source alignment and right-mindedness, but not without a fight. And let us remember that we are not fighting each other. It seems that way. It always seems that way. But we are fighting to expose corruption and present the truth. Let us always reach for the higher vantage point and see the bigger picture. When we are locked up in the details, we lose sight of the ultimate goal, which is, of course, unity through the understanding of individual sovereignty. No matter how attractive the communism of the New World Order seems, well, I think it seems attractive to those who want an excuse not to make something of themselves, but no matter how attractive it seems to you to sit at home and play computer games and live in your tiny apartments and be given a small stipend from the state which you cannot spend unless you are chipped and vaccinated annually, no matter how attractive it seems to have all your decisions made for you, to be told what to do and when to do it and how to do it and what to eat and when to eat it, how much you can eat, when to eliminate it, to have your travel restricted and be denied access to nature. Hang on a minute. <laughs> on, I mean, who, who on God's good earth could find this an attractive proposition? Did you vote for Biden? Well, it's not about him, of course. He, too, is a useful idiot of the establishment. So did you vote for Biden in this election? Well, then, unless you want to become an enslaved automaton, may I suggest you know nothing of how this world is run? And that type of ignorance, unfortunately, is dangerous to the rest of us. <clears throat> Living in fear and falsehood, my darlings, is worse than death. And unfortunately, many people don't figure that out until they get to the other side. All right, my darlings, let's get to the meat of the show or um, the cabbage if you're a vegetarian. Uh, quack, questions, answers, and comments. If you would like to share the contents of your fabulous mind on this fabulous show, send your emails to me, Ani at Ani Avedisian, or by snail mail to Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, like the tennis racket, Oregon 97070, USA. And please don't forget to let me know if and how you would like to be identified, or I will refer to you as omit personal details. I've received a few emails. Um, where are they? Oh, never mind. Well, they're here somewhere. Uh, anyway, they asked me how I choose which questions and comments to feature. Do I vet them first or are they blind picks? Well, I have to say, of course, I look at them first for two reasons. Well, one is no one else is available to sort through them. 
the front end of this podcast is a one-woman show and I'm the woman. Second reason is no one wants to look like a total idiot on live radio. So yes, I read the postcards and the emails. I delete anything set by trolls and I put the rest in a big fishbowl. The emails folded up and the postcards placed in a plain envelope. And then I pick them at random during the actual show. So yes, I have seen them in advance, but I don't know on the actual day which ones I will pull out and feature. So it keeps it a little bit fresh for me. So let's do that. And uh, let's have a sip of this excellent cocktail first because <clears throat> I'm a little dry. All right, uh, right, here we go. Let's pick from the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. This one is from Brianna, um, but I will say this question has come up in several of my classes recently. Dear Arnie, is it true that the heads of all the world's major religions are working toward one religion for the entire world? If so, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Brianna, <clears throat> my thoughts on religion in general are that it serves a purpose, but since it is a man-made construct, it is immature and incomplete and is a stepping stone on the path to direct union with source creator I am. So other than control of and dominion over the masses, what other purpose can a one world religion serve? It's still a religion, but now all the flavor has been distilled out of it and we would be left with a bland and neutral spirit suitable for a dumbed down, brainwashed, obedient servant base of the new world order. While it is true, of course, <clears throat> that we all worship the same God and religion and nationality has been used to divide and conquer, when the establishment makes a move to destroy national and cultural preference in favor of one ring to rule them all, and often in the name of peace and sustainability, be aware this is the mark of the beast. All will worship the beast, Revelation 13, 8, except those whose names are in the book of life and the penalties for not worshiping the beast, they will be killed and they cannot buy or sell. In the book of life are written the names of those who will not submit to the beast. In the book of death are written the names of those who do submit to the beast and walk the path of impurity. And whosoever was found, not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. <clears throat> and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books accordance to their works. We are free, my darlings, to make choices in a free will universe, but we are never free of the consequences of those choices. Thank you, Brianna. <clears throat> I just have to also add to that. When people start touting peace and sustainability, that word sustainability, lovely word though it is, when they talk about one world government and the word sustainability is in that sentence, that is the mark of the beast. All right, let's take another question. And this one is from Blanche, who says, Dear Ani, what is the point of alignment with source? 
<laughs> uh, well, Blanche, I would say, in a nutshell, to have a functional and adventurous incarnation. If source is the seed point of all creation, the point from which we emerge and to which we return, if it is the vibration of all creation, it makes sense to be attuned to it, unless, of course, you choose discord and frustration as the theme of your incarnation. And there might be value in that. Probably it will serve to teach us never to choose a life without attunement to source. So thank you, Blanche. Um, I know that wasn't a stupid question. I know you wanted to get a point across. But, you know, what's the main vibe? Tune in to the main vibe. And here's one from Vanak, uh, V-A-N-N-A-K. I don't know the origin of that name. Um, I'm having a vision of Asia, so it could be an Asian name. Anyway, here's one from Vanak. And Vanak says, Dear Ani, I am having difficulty understanding the concept of the cumulative or originating soul. Could you simplify it for me, please? <clears throat> yes, I can. But will I? <laughs> yes, I will. Don't worry. Okay. This one does stump a few people, and this question comes up regularly every five or six shows. Let me see if I can simplify it, really simplify it. Vanak, your soul is pure light energy, divine, cosmic, and created by source. After we created physical worlds, we created higher sentient beings such as humans higher universal mankind, humans. Now, projecting a soul onto a physical plane requires the development of a personality, a character, a character suitable for interaction on a physical world that has polarity and contrast, as all physical worlds do. It's a bit like creating a character for a computer game. You see, you pick your main theme and you develop the character the personality, choosing where to place your game points, how to use the resources that you gather on your quests and the choices that you make develops the character. Now, the soul remains pure and unblemished. It experiences the character and learns how to negotiate the myriad worlds it chooses to inhabit. And when the character dies a mortal death, the entire life experience of that character is archived in the soul's databanks. And that is now an archive of the soul's cumulative experience. A cumulative soul is the cumulative experience of all the characters that soul has played. So to recap, souls have multiple incarnations and all of them are recorded on the soul's databank. So in between incarnations, when we go back to heaven for rest, recreation, review, after we have our life review, where we review the most recent incarnation and make sense of it, we are no longer just that one personality. We have access again to all the characters we have played. So if I die, which I will at some point, I'll die when I get to the other side. I'll still be Arnie for a while. 
and then I'll do my life review and I will put to rest every experience I've had in this life, make peace with it. And then I will be back into my cumulative soul experience. I will be all the characters that I have ever played until such time as I decide to shoot another piece of me out into a personality and have another life. So it's like a mini version of the Akashic Records in a way. You can think of the cumulative soul as a library and each incarnation is a book you have written within that library. I know it's a difficult concept to grasp, um, but I hope that helps. And thank you, Vanek. Um, I'm sure we'll get this question again. So tune in in another five or six episodes and I'll find a whole different way of explaining it. Okay, let's uh, take another look and uh, let's open up this envelope and see there's a little postcard in it, a nice little postcard, and it's from Ashland, Oregon, where we have the, uh, the annual Shakespeare Festival. Very lovely town. Um, lots of lovely restaurants, uh, lots to do in Ashland. I really recommend it. Um, if you want to see some Shakespeare and get some great drinks in, Ashland, Oregon is your place. So this postcard is from uh, somebody who says, omit my personal details and says, Arnie, what do you mean when you refer to collapsing time and space? You mentioned it in a short presentation you gave about property clearing for my friend's group last month. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Um, <clears throat> all right. So the main theme is understanding that space and time are constructs created for our convenience when negotiating physical worlds. Accepting all points in time and space are the same means we understand that all experience is a projection of source energy. And we are therefore still in source energy, projecting experiences which appear to have space and time. In other words, despite appearances to the contrary, we are as perfect as the moment of our creation. When we understand that and affirm it, we have collapsed the illusion of time and space, and we are drawing from our true nature, which is cosmic, divine, pure, unblemished, radiant, magnificent, and a whole bunch of other superlatives I can't think of right now. So I use the term collapsing time and space in my rituals because I don't want to bless from my personality's vantage point, but from my higher soul's vantage point. And in any language you choose to speak it in, there is great power in the phrase, I am as perfect as the moment of my creation. If you're having trouble with someone and they're having a hissy fit or they're sick, just hold them in white light and look at them. And in your, you don't even have to say it aloud. Just say to them, soul to soul, brother or sister, you are as perfect as the moment of your creation. Because it is the only truth that we can speak. Our pure, incorruptible souls are the truth of all there is, was, and ever shall be. Everything else is an experience, a game we're playing a journey we're having, an adventure, a book we're writing, a projection. So I thank you. Um, <clears throat> I thank you for that little postcard. Very sweet. All right. Let's take another question from the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. And this is an email and it is from uh, Mina or Mina. Ani, 
what does it mean when you have an extreme hatred of certain colors? My son has an unusually strong reaction to the color red. It excites him and not in a good way. I cannot eliminate this color entirely from his life. Have you come across this before? And do you have any suggestions? Mina, I'm <clears throat> sorry if you're minor, but Mina, uh, this is called chromophobia. And for what it's worth, it's not that uncommon, but there is no one blanket cause for it. Individualized assessment is the key here. And my suggestion would be to take him to a respected and experienced hypnotherapist. Now, red is a powerful color. It has positive and negative attributes. In its positive stage, it's vitality, motivation, power, focused passion. On the downside, it can represent rage and violence and uncontrolled lust and uncontrolled passion. So you need to find the core issue and for that, you will need the help of a hypnotherapist or psychologist or hypnotherapist psychologist combo. And until you do that, uh, I'm not allowed to recommend anything remotely resembling medicine. And this is not a recommendation, but it's something that I do. And in my experience, I have found it useful to carry a bottle of batch flower essences. That's batch, B-A-C-H, not Bach, but batch flower essences. And the one that I carry is rescue remedy. So very useful for when someone has an uncomfortable episode. Just shoot half a dropper under the tongue and you will be surprised how effective it is. It can do no harm because it is a flower essence, not a medicine. I found it remarkably useful when used as directed. Um, and good luck with that because you can fix this. This is fixable. Thank you for writing in, Mina, and good luck with it all. All right. Uh, one more question, I think, or maybe two. We see I've been doing this show for over a year, but I still can't figure out timing. Uh, let's see. This is from Paul. Paul is in Leeds, Alabama. Who says? Well, Leeds doesn't. Paul says, are there really cures for cancer and other diseases that are being kept from us? And if so, why? Well, yes, and with bells on, ding, ding, ding. I think if you do a little research, you'll find there is an ever-growing list of people who have found humane cures for cancer and other diseases. I don't think the cures we have now are particularly humane. And that list should be filed under people who died under mysterious circumstances. Look, the cure for the current non-pandemic proportion contagion was easily available. It's called hydro, hydroxychloroquine. And it was cheap. It is cheap. It's quick. The recovery time is good. They pop it like candy in African places. And a long time ago in Papua New Guinea, I even used it for malaria. But um, you see, it was taken off the shelves because it's effective and humane and cheap with a quick recovery time. If anyone out there still believes this is about a virus, my darlings, with the greatest respect, you have your heads very far up your asses. Why are effective treatments not made available? 
Money, money, money. It's always money because it's a rich man's world. Keeping people sick, giving them drugs that create side effects, which then require the purchase of other medications, that's why. Bamboozling people before bankrupting them, prior to burying them and, uh, you know, when they're no more of use to them, that's a useful resource for the establishment, big pharma. And pharma receives an, oh my gosh, pharma is protected by the establishment. The establishment receives a great deal of money from big pharma. It's a huge portion of their income. I think we had all better grow up and realize that health is actually our responsibility. The establishment, as I said, they just want to bamboozle us, butcher us, bankrupt us and bury us eventually. Look, non-GMO foods make us sick. Well, when we get sick, what happens? We go to the doctor. What happens then? Some doctors will say, look, eat properly and blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, our visit there just feeds Big Pharma. Chemtrails poison our groundwater. Roundup poisons our groundwater. Unless we grow our own, the produce that isn't saturated in pesticide. I mean, most of it is just out of range for most household budgets. What's organic food now was just food when I was a young woman. And only God knows what toxins are in fish, game and meat. We must do whatever we can to avoid falling prey to the medical system, especially today. We must sacrifice convenience to a great extent for our health's sake. I know it takes a lot of doing. It took some doing for me, but, you know, a significant portion of our food at home now is made from scratch. And it does take time to research and find the good quality, the affordable raw ingredients. But it is possible and it is our best hope for health in today's toxic environment. So, Paul from Alabama, do some research. Um, email me again, if you wish, and I will send you some links. You can get started. There will come a time, hopefully soon, and that's why we are fighting so hard to keep POTUS in the White House. There will come a time when the humane treatment of crippling diseases will be made available to the general public, and not just the 1%. Oh, yes, the 1% do have access to it. You'll be surprised what cutting-edge medical technology is available to people in countries such as Israel, but not to people, but to those in the 1% and to the echelon just below the 1% who serve them. Medical integrity, those should be on everyone's lips. We are fighting so hard for that right now. And it would be a lot easier if we were just fighting the establishment. But it seems we are also fighting massive ignorance within the 99%. Thank you, Paul. Do your research, have your mind blown, and stay strong. Well, is that it for QAC today for Quack? I think so. Let me thank everyone who wrote in, because it gives me a reason for living, to get your emails, to see what's on your mind. Um, gosh, just thank you, everyone, for taking the time to do that. And now, what shall we do? <gasps> now it's time for... Tarot a go go a little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. <laughs> okay, today's card is the two of swords. Let's pick it up 
and see what it has to say for itself. What do we see? Well, we see a young woman seated atop some ruins with some choppy waters behind her. The sky is blue and grey with a quarter moon. She's dressed in a plain white tunic. She's barefoot and she holds a long sword in each hand. So she has one sword in each hand. And the expression on her face, what I can see despite the blindfold, is a serious one. She has a blindfold on, a white blindfold. And the swords, in this deck anyway, they have a gleam to them, which indicates they are sharp and they are battle-ready. It's a moody card. It's a bit dramatic. I'm not sure I like the feel of it. It makes me slightly uncomfortable. It gives me the impression I have to make an important decision and I had better make the right decision because those short, those swords, they do look sharp. And I feel I had better control my emotions and get things figured out. I can't hold these swords in that position for long. The whole card has a feeling of stalemate, uncertainty, difficult decisions. I feel immobilized and I have to ask myself why. What is keeping me in this position, unable to make a decision, unable to choose which path to take? Something important is going on here and I must face up to it and break the stalemate. I might have to compromise, but I must reach an agreement and put these swords down. The blindfold is telling me be objective, make the right decision. Do what is best for everyone concerned. Act with honor. Act with integrity. So what if we pick this card reversed? Let's flip it and let's take a look. Ah, well, that has a very different feel to it, doesn't it? The moodiness is gone. I think the decision's been made. We can move on. We can unwind. It's done now, so make peace and let's see how it all unfolds. Yes, it's possible we took a chance and made a decision we were not totally happy with. But it's done, so relax. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. We did what we needed to do, and now it's time to regroup and move forward. Two of Swords. A moody, stormy card. It's up to us to take decisive action to break the storm. Mm, very nice. I'll put that one away now, because... I'm not in the mood for a storm. Hey, this might be a good time to announce my annual tarot special and to give myself a little plug. So if you'd like to get a snapshot of potential for 2021 with a 12-month tarot reading from me, send me an email. Go to my website, arnie at arnieavidician.com. Go to the tarot page and read about the special because it's significantly reduced in price um, if you prepay by January 31st. And you can get a reading that spells out 2021 month by month, or you can get a reading on anything that you want to talk about. I have many different spreads to choose from, and, you know, it's all a bit of fun. So the other special I have, again, you'll find that on the website, gift certificates. If you purchase gift certificates from November 20th to December 24th, there's a 10% discount on gift certificates starting at 50 up to 999 and a 20% discount on gift certificates over $1,000. That is not pesos. And 
hey, you don't have to give them as gifts. If you just want to save on services, buy it for yourself. Why don't you? It would certainly help me out. And I had something else I had to say. And I think, yes, <laughs> well done, Arnie. Short term memory, not going quite yet. If you'd like to receive an audio recording of November's Cosmic Conversation, which was titled The Luciferian Agenda Explained, the cost is the same as attending the live Zoom meeting, which is $15. Email me and uh, we'll take care of it. And just so you know, December's Cosmic Conversation via Zoom is free to anyone who has previously attended a conversation and $1 via PayPal to any newcomers. And that dollar is because we would like a verified email address before we invite you to the meeting, which is not really a meeting. It's a Christmas solstice, whatever you want to celebrate party, a mix of Christmas and solstice in my house. But we celebrate everything with anyone. There will be poems and songs and sing-alongs and I will be in my pajamas. Yes. What a dreadful thought. I will be in my holiday pajamas and you are welcome to be in your pajamas too. Just be fully clothed. We always have one heck of a time on the Christmas solstice party. You pour yourself your own drink. We're all on Zoom this year. It'll be a hoot. So. All right. That's that. I think that's enough um, stuff about me. So ho, ho, ho. <laughs> we spare every expense with sound effects on this show. All right. It's time for The Cryptic Mystic, where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. I just love that. <laughs> I cracker myself up. Uh, today's holy roller is none other than Thomas Merton. Now, who was this chap and why do we care? I'll tell you. Thomas Merton, 1915 to 1968. So not an incredibly long life. I would say the most influential American Catholic author of the 20th century. And his autobiography, The Seven Story Mountain, it's sold well over a million copies. It's been translated into over 15 languages, including Klingon. I, I just made that up. Uh, he wrote over 60 other books and hundreds of poems and articles on topics ranging from monastic spirituality to civil rights to nonviolence, the nuclear arms race. I think I've read every single scrap of anything that he has written. And we all know I am not a Catholic. This man was a very special man. He was born in France. And his New Zealand born father, Owen Merton, and his mum was American, Ruth Jenkins. Uh, I believe they were artists and they met at art school in Paris and they married in St. Anne's Church in Soho, London and returned to France. And that's where Thomas was born. And that was uh, January 31st, 1915. After what was described as a rumbunctious youth and adolescence, uh, Merton converted to Roman Catholicism, uh, Catholicism when he was at Columbia University. And in 1941, he arrived at the Abbey of Gethsemane, a community of monks belonging to the order of Cistercians of the strict observance. Those would be Trappists. Um, that's a pretty strict Roman Catholic monastic order. It wouldn't be my choice. Uh, he spent 27 years there and brought 
it brought profound changes in his self-understanding. And he really was one to let the spirit inhabit the human. He didn't want to lock himself in a monastery. He really wanted to talk about the political arena. Um, and he became really the conscience of the peace movement of the 60s. You know, he thought race and peace were the two most urgent issues of his time. And he was a very strong supporter of the nonviolent civil rights movement, which he called certainly the greatest example of Christian faith in action in the social history of the United States. And for his social activism, remember he was a Trappist monk, Merton endured severe criticism not just from Catholics, but from non-Catholics. Um, they said, look, man, you can't write about peace and love. You can't get involved in the political arena. You can't go around talking about racism and these things as if it's a thing. We're monks. We don't do it. We just pray and talk about it. During his last years, he became deeply interested in Asian religions, uh, apparently particularly Zen Buddhism. And uh, he was very active in promoting dialogue between Eastern and Western religions. Uh, I believe he met with the Dalai Lama several times, and the Dalai Lama praised him as having a more profound understanding of Buddhism than any other Christian he had ever known. And it was during this trip to a conference on East-West monastic dialogue that Merton died on December 10th, 1968, near Bangkok. And that date marked the 27th anniversary of his arrival at Gethsemane. So he wrote many books, all of which I have read and highly recommend, but he is perhaps known for best for um, the Seven Story Mountain, which tells about how restless he was growing up as a youth. And um, he was a very passionate man and how he would want to focus that passion and taking vows at the age of 26 in one of the most demanding Catholic orders. And he called the Abbey of Gethsemane the four walls of my new freedom. And he talked about his struggles to withdraw from the world. And at the Abbey, he wrote this extraordinary testament, described as a unique spiritual autobiography that has been recognized as one of the most influential religious works of our time, um, translated into many languages, I think well over 20. Um, I don't pray much in public, I mean, unless I'm working, but when I do, I find that nobody is offended by the prayers written by Thomas Merton. And I would like to share a personal favorite with you. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I do believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. 
I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, God, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will fear not, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Now, that is a prayer we can all relate to, and it has helped me more times than I can count. Thomas Merton. Thoughts in Solitude is another of my favorites. It's difficult to say which of his works I prefer more than any other. I would say just go to a library and pick something and you will be hooked. If you are into meditation, prayerful contemplation, honest, uplifting self-evaluation, if you genuinely came down for the honest evolution of your soul and to use that for the betterment of mankind, you will be moved and motivated and fed in spirit by the works of Mr. Merton. One of my favorite sayings from Thoughts in Solitude is, uh, our destiny is to live out what we think because unless we live what we know, we do not even know it. It is only by making our knowledge part of ourselves through action that we enter into the reality that is signified by our concepts. Now that's another one of the little sayings that I have dotted around on the multiple thousands of post-it pads I have all over my home office. He definitely was a man that believed in letting the spirit inhabit the human and letting the human discuss the experience with the spirit. You see, our souls are perfect and pure and unblemished. They don't have to learn anything except how to negotiate life on any given physical realm. Thomas Merton. 1915 to 1968, and may the divine illuminate and rest his soul forevermore. All right, what shall we do next? I think we should have another sound effect. I've been practicing. Now, my darlings, I think we should do a little pat of poetry, and we should probably have something jolly to perk us up a bit. But you'd be surprised how little poetry exists about Thanksgiving. And I guess I wasn't feeling particularly perky when I wrote this one. <laughs> but we have had several listeners kind enough to send in little Thanksgiving ditties and sayings. So I'll read a couple of them instead. Um, I, I am very grateful to you all for sending them in. I think some of them you must have got from a Reader's Digest that was in your grandmother's toilet for 20 years or so. Uh, but some of them are kind of fun. So Joan from Medford which is near Ashland in Oregon. She sent in this one. May your stuffing be tasty. May your turkey be plump. May your potatoes and gravy have nary a lump. 
May your yams be delicious and your pies take the prize. And may your Thanksgiving dinner stay off your thighs. <laughs> well, that's the trick, isn't it? I mean, we all do tend to stuff ourselves a little bit too much. Thank you for that, Joan from Medford. Um, I will do my best. We are going to uh, have a jolly good dinner uh, tomorrow, um, but we're going to have it early. So we've got plenty of time to walk up and down the street a bit. And this is a little note from Tim from Wushugal, who says, I do love Thanksgiving. Um, the best part of Thanksgiving is inheriting all the leftover booze brought over by your guests. Well, Tim, the metaphysical martini show will not argue with that. <laughs> and here's Jenny, um, Jenny of no fixed address. <laughs> That's what she said. Says, Annie, my favorite Thanksgiving side is vodka. Well, I think you have many friends there, Jenny. Um, thank you, everyone, for writing in. Um, it's it's lovely. You know, in the beginning, it was very slow going. When we started the show, people didn't really write in a lot. So I used questions that came up in my classes. But after about three or four months, we I guess we got enough listeners that you started writing to me with the header metaphysical martini on your emails. And I really do appreciate that. It makes me very excited. It tickles my sissy. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you. So I was working on, um, oh, let me have a sip of this excellent cocktail. And it really is excellent. Um, all my cocktails are excellent because I put a lot of effort into them. Let's see. I was working on something a little bit earlier. It's not completely finished, but uh, I will read it to you. And it's supposed to be a Thanksgiving poem. Um, it doesn't have a title yet. But I suppose it will at some point. All right, here we go. Let's see how it pans out. Just a warning. It could be crap. I don't know. <laughs> All right, a little pet of poetry. With so many reasons to be grateful, why do we insist on being so petty and so hateful? I'm not saying I'm exempt but it is something I seek to prevent. When I was a young woman, we tried hard to make conversations lighthearted yet interesting. We seem to have lost that fine art and it doesn't help to have this ridiculous social distancing. As far as I can see, the problem is this. People don't know their own minds so they feel inadequate and less than, and then they get embarrassed and just take the piss. We have strayed so very far from the Garden of Eden. And don't get me started on the state of our education. Most schoolchildren cannot name the capital of Sweden and forget about asking them to locate Ulaanbaatar or asking them to list the dynasty of the Tsars. Education, in my not-so-humble opinion, it should inspire and motivate one to explore beyond one's territorial dominion. Whatever happened to curiosity? And when did the clever ones become the objects of animosity? This Thanksgiving Day, please take a moment to review the meaning of the verb to foment. We are all free to make our choices. We have the right to use our voices. But you see, my darlings, 
I wish this were commonly known. You will only feed the darkness if your minds are not your own. Well, that was a jolly piece of fluff, wasn't it? <laughs> a warning for anyone who had lips halfway through a seriously strong cocktail on live radio. I advise against it. Interesting times we're living in. To those who buy into the pandemic and are observing the ridiculous lockdown restrictions imposed by the bought and paid for New World Order state governors, please check your mental health and intellect meters. You are quite literally showing these corrupt, Luciferian controlled scumbags how far they can push you. And when they feel they've reached critical mass in the erosion of your free will, they will make it impossible for you to leave your homes and go about your daily business without an implanted tracking device. And to those who report their neighbors for having more than six people over for Thanksgiving, oh my God, you people, what is going on in your heads? Are you aware that your actions will return to you and your progeny through multiple generations 1,000-fold? We're free to make choices. And again, we're not free from the consequences of those choices. So I'm going to shout out some gratitude to all the sheriff's departments in the Pacific Northwest who have told our communist governors they will not enforce lockdown restriction. Yay! The police are here to protect the public. It is the military's job to protect the country. The police are here for we the people, and if they lose that trust, well, no police department wants that. My fellow Americans, never give up your Second Amendment rights, or we will be completely at the mercy of the demon establishment. That is why the war against we the people is one of fear-based information control and smoke and mirrors and illusion and mind control. The right to defend ourselves and the right to express ourselves are connected. The only reason they haven't entered our homes and forced us to be implanted is because they know there is a firearm, several in some cases, behind every door. Don't be naive. Wake the Sam Adams up. Pick up the flag and defend the Constitution. Hey, baby, it's time for a soul revolution. Freedom isn't something the state gives you. Freedom is not what is and what is not allowed by law. Freedom is spiritual integrity. And even though I know better, it still blows my mind that so many people today have just rolled over and allowed, nay, invited the establishment to take over every aspect of our, of our lives. What a powerful illusion the propagandists have woven. All I have to say is not on my watch, not today, not on this country, and not on this planet. Okay, well, I got off track there, and I got into pontification mode, as I do sometimes. You know, I will adjust my gears accordingly. I think we have time for just a very quick wizard's gizzard, also known as points to ponder. Thanksgiving is a time where families get together. Sometimes it's the only time they get together. Let's keep it respectful. Don't ridicule each other. Discuss world events if you must, 
but discuss them from a point of view of saying, oh, Uncle Jim, I see uh, you're wearing a mask while simultaneously attempting to eat candied yams. Um, could you tell me why you're doing this? <laughs> Just listen to each other, because the people that are buying into this thing, it's 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 childlike. And you don't smash a child's head against the wall to knock the truth into them, do you? I bloody well hope you don't, because you will get arrested for that. What you do is you quietly and calmly expand the child's worldview by presenting the new information and helping yourself to yet another plate of mashed up yams. Here in America, they candy the yams. I think that's repulsive, but I think I'm the only one who thinks that. So have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I don't see that there's any need to avoid subjects. We just need to rethink how we discuss them with each other. I want to know why people arrive at their conclusions. I don't necessarily have the right for them to think the way I do. I want to know how they think and how they got to that point. Well, my darlings, I think that's it for today. I finished my drink. Hang on, I haven't. I lied. Let me finish my drink. <clears throat> now I finished my drink, and that means the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I had a blast. I always do. And may I say how very touched and grateful I am to know that you gave up one whole hour of your lives to share a martini with me. One hour, incidentally, you will never, ever get back. Today's real-life cocktail is a Godfather, which is a whiskey-based cocktail. But since it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, I used wild turkey bourbon instead. And here's how you make it. Two ounces of wild turkey, one ounce of amaretto. You fill an old-fashioned glass with ice, pour in the bourbon or whiskey, then the amaretto, and you stir, not shake. This is very important. And then you drink it, and it's quite lovely, and it's very strong, and I'm really feeling it. I'm Arnie Avedistian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Happy Thanksgiving, and until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. <laughs>